You are listening to WERA 96.7 FM, Arlington, Virginia. This is Girl Yazzie Speaks on Millennial Minds. This evening, we have Miss Takia Blackman, mental health advocate, creator and host of the Fireflies Unite with Kia podcast, and the author of Saved and Depressed. Hi, Takia. Hi, Yazzie. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Good. We're so glad to have you. And we're excited to hear your story. I'm super excited to be here. (laughs) Yes. Um, So please tell us who you are, where you grew up, and what it was like for you growing up. So I am from New Jersey, and I was born in Newark, but raised in Elizabeth, New Jersey, which is like right outside of Newark. Um, Grew up in what most people would probably call the ghetto or the hood, uh, low-income Housing. And Newark is kind of rough even now. So yeah, I, you said I, Elizabeth is, city yeah. is right outside of it. So Elizabeth is right, like right outside of Newark. Mm-hmm. I got you. So I, my childhood, it wasn't all terrible, but the things that I I saw growing up is like, you know, watching drug dealers on the corner or um, people who struggle with um, drug and alcohol, um, you know, disorders. So I saw a lot of that. My father struggled with using drugs, but then he also sold drugs. Mm. So did he live with you? Yeah. So my parents were together up until I was about maybe eight or nine years old. And as a way to kind of like help me get through all of that as a child, I was actually very involved. So I did pageants, I did Girl Scout dance, drill team I did a lot so I was very active as a kid did you opt to do that or your mom was like we're gonna come on to Kia we're gonna um so I met one of the ladies who was the pageant director and she actually she actually also had like a a dance team and so she asked if I wanted to do it and I was actually very shy but once I like started doing the pageants is when it I really started to like break out my show wow that is so cool. You were doing pageants as a little girl. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, so, you know, you you have established a brand where you're very transparent about your life and the things that you've been through and things that you've overcome, challenges. Um, I saw that you were recently uh, speaking, I think it was at a university or a health conference, mm-hmm. um, and on the PowerPoint you know, you had that you had been di- at the time you were diagnosed with major depressive and generalized anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, how and when did you find out about this, like about this diagnosis and, mm-hmm. and, and that you that you were that you had that you were struggling with those things? So initially, honestly, I it started as a child, but I didn't know what it was. So I actually started struggling with suicidal thoughts at just 12 years old and I never told anyone. And I didn't honestly, I didn't know suicide. I just knew I thought about ways of ending my life Mm. multiple times. And so when I got older, I realized that the thoughts they were, they progressively like gotten worse. And so eventually I think at either 24 or 25, like for eight months straight, I could not stop thinking about ending my life. I had moments of being afraid of being by myself because I didn't know if I would act on my thoughts. And so I eventually, I went through a few therapists. And when I finally found the therapist that I have now, um, 
I was eventually I was diagnosed and by the by the therapist. Uh-huh. Okay. So I was diagnosed by the therapist and I knew like I was relieved in a way, but then also there was a part of me that didn't want to accept it. I was relieved because I was like, okay, there's actually something going on here. Mm-hmm. But when you think about the stigma in the black community, oh, I was yeah. thinking like I I don't want to have I don't want to have that. And then because I associated mental illness with like people who talk to themselves or people, you know, if you watch the movies, if you're in the psychiatric unit, you got straight jackets. So I was that's what my image was. So I didn't want to be associated with anything like that. That's deep. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And so how how have you. Um for lack of a better term, been able to handle that or, or, or how, how have you been processing and working through that? So initially I texted a friend and I told the friend that it would be better if I was dead. And I didn't know at the time that how she, old were you when you did that? Maybe 24, 25. Okay. So I, but I don't know. I didn't know that she was the one to like call the police or anything. I just knew like some time had passed and the police showed up and they like broke into my window and they were like, we're here to do a wellness check. Wow. And so I, they, when they came in, they were like, well, we got a phone call. We're concerned about you. Are you thinking about ending your life? And at the time, I told them, I was like, well, actually, I took some wine and I don't know how many pills and I'm just was hoping to go in my sleep. Mm-hmm. And they were like, OK, well, you're a threat to yourself. We can handcuff you or we can call the paramedics and have them to come transport you. So I agreed to have the, uh, them transport me. And when I got to the hospital, I was diagnosed. I'm sorry. Actually, so I was diagnosed at the hospital. Okay. Not by my therapist. I was diagnosed at the hospital. And when the psychiatrist, um, I remember him asking me a few questions, like, do you know what day it is, what time it is? Like, I didn't really know those things. Like, I knew my name. I kind of knew what was happening. I was somewhat coherent. Mm -hmm. But it was almost like I was having an out-of-body experience. And he said, well, you're a threat to yourself, and we can't let you leave here. So we can check you in involuntary or you can check yourself in. But either way, like, you can't leave here. We're going to have to admit you mm-hmm. into the hospital. And that was, like, my first, I felt like it was, like, a nightmare come true. Because I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm about to go to the place where, in air quotes, like, where crazy people go. Yeah. So wow. that's really what started, like, my entire, like, mental health journey. So now you've said you've said like i've seen in the social media and i know it's in your book that you attempted suicide mm-hmm. was that the same time period mm-hmm. like okay so that was the time period and actually when i was like a child probably like i don't remember maybe like 14 maybe i remember like i don't know what was happening at the time but i just remember like picking up a lot of pills and putting them in my mouth and like hearing someone come so i like hurry up and i spit them back out or I spit them out rather. So that was like the first, but then this time I for really for eight months straight, like I said, I was just thinking about ending my life and I felt like the best way to put it was like I was paralyzed and I had a a ton of bricks on top of me, but since I'm paralyzed, I can't like push those bricks off. So like when I got to the hospital, I was dehydrated. I didn't have anything to eat in about three or four days. I was really, I was extremely weak. Um, I could barely walk. 
And it was, it almost reminded me or it kind of felt like I was having like this outer body experience. Mm -hmm. Wow. And do you happen to know or recall what, well, were you living by yourself Mm -hmm. at that time? And then do you happen to know or recall what was happening in your life at the time or what made you feel the way that you were feeling that when you texted your friend that I just think it would be better if I were dead or if I weren't here? Um, honestly, I think it was, I was just tired, like emotionally, mentally, I was just really drained. I was just tired of the internal fight Mm -hmm. and I just would at the time I'd rather just give in because it was too exhausting. And I was like, it would just be better because then I don't have to deal with the suicidal thoughts. They really like overpowered everything and it just became so loud that I couldn't hear anything else mm-hmm. or focus on anything else. And so I was like, I'm just gonna give in to it. Mm, I see. Now, um, what do you attribute to bringing you out of that moment in time or or that 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 you know abyss uh, of darkness and 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 loneliness and feeling of 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 being overwhelmed what do you attribute to having brought you out of that what or who yeah so honestly it took a lot of therapy because like I still go to therapy every week Mm -hmm. and and I think that's great by the way I, it's just I, I commend you for doing that. It's it's a lot of work. I honestly say that going to therapy um, or working on myself rather has been harder than both of my degrees combined. I see. See, that internal work is, is it's the hardest work. It's yes, hard work. it is because you have to I or I had to change my thinking patterns or like my thought process and the way I looked at certain things and I also had to like work on changing my behaviors and my coping skills that were unhealthy and not serving me Mm. um and so of course it was therapy it was when I got out of the hospital I was in um, the partial hospitalization program so at that point I could go home but I was still in the hospital for about like five or six hours a day for intense therapy wow um and I was so total I was in the hospital for about a month Okay. And between... And they kept you full-time for how long? So I was in there, like, on the unit for a couple days, maybe three or four days. Okay. And then when I was released, I was able to go to the partial hospitalization program, and I was able to go home. But like I said, I was in the hospital from, like, eight to, like, three every Mm -hmm. single day. Um, And then once I left the partial hospitalization program... From there, I stayed consistent in therapy and also working with the psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was really against taking medication because I was like, why do I need medication to make me feel normal? Mm -hmm. But at the time, it was what I needed. It was the medication that actually helped helped me to get out of bed and to do things like eat and take care of my hygiene because those were things that I was not doing. I see. Wow. Um. Well, I commend you, you know, Takia, for for being open and willing to work with a a psychiatrist and a therapist um, and to do that internal work. And 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 I'm excited to to see um, some of the many positive results of that. And one a few of those one of those is your 
uh, podcast, mm-hmm. Fireflies Unite with Kia podcast. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with the name Fireflies? Um, what does that mean? What topics do you cover? And, you know, what what does the podcast mean mean for you? So I it's interesting because I actually struggled with figuring out what the podcast was going to be called. Mm-hmm. But um, I was talking with my cousin and she was saying, you know, like Beyonce has the beehive. Mariah Carey has the lambs. And she's like, what is your community going to be called? Nice. And she actually I can't even give credit. She came up with fireflies. And I was like, OK, I don't. And then when I started thinking about it, like, yeah, you know how they bring light into darkness when people experience some form of mental health challenge or a mental illness. They often feel like they're in a very dark place. Mm -hmm. They're isolated. But we're talking about something. So we're bringing light to it. And that's essentially what the bugs do. You know, like they do bring light and darkness because of the light that they carry. And so I was like, oh, I I I like like that. I was like, I like it. (laughs) And so that's really what the community is it's a community to allow people who experience mental health challenges or mental illness or even caregivers the opportunity to talk about what it's like to live with the mental illness because there are a lot of mental health podcasts but what I had found it was from the clinician standpoint and I was like what about the consumers what about the people who are actually being treated for these uh, mental health challenges and so I wanted to give a platform for people to share their story no matter what their diagnosis is that is amazing and how long have you been doing the podcast a year and a half now okay and what has what has the response been like the response has been great like people often say that what they love most about the podcast is my transparency because they're like I remember someone wrote me and said you say all the things that I want to say but I can't say Mm. and I'm like wow wow so I think the podcast is definitely um, growing. And the biggest thing for me is that if it can help someone give them a voice, then I feel like the podcast is doing its job. Yes. That is amazing. Thank you. <laughs> like you guys, this is this is so amazing. Um, and I see that you have recently published a book. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, tell us the name of your book so, and, and you know, why you wrote it and what people can expect when they read your book. Yeah. So the title of my book is Saved and Depressed, A Suicide Survivor's Journey of Mental Health, Healing and Faith. And the book is really about my challenge, my my story of overcoming childhood trauma, you know, seeing drug addiction, watching my mom be verbally and physically abused mm-hmm. and really also adding the, the Christian uh, faith based mm-hmm. community because like I was told to do things like speak in tongues for 20 minutes a day and like my mental illness will go away. Mm. Like, are you praying harder? Don't take that medication. Like it means you lack faith in God. Mm. And so for me, the book talks about my personal struggles and my suicide attempt, but it also talks about what are the things that the uh, church can do to actually encourage mental health treatment and saying that your faith um, can very well be a part of um, it's a part of your mental health. But just because you see a therapist or you need medication, mm-hmm. it does not mean that you lack faith in God. And so yes. I really want to dismantle Amen to that. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's important to like to dismantle that stigma and just to really to educate people that black people, we come from a long lineage of trauma. And yes. so there are so many things that it talks about generational trauma. 
things that are being passed down and we don't even realize that it's still impacting us because it's so normalized. And so the biggest thing is from when people read my book, I want them to know that it's okay to pray and see a therapist at the Mm -hmm. same time. And it doesn't mean that they lack faith in God. Yes. Oh my goodness. That, that is the message right there. (laughs) (laughs) That is the message right there. Right there. Takia, have you seen, um, I've recently saw, you know, all those ads on Facebook and Instagram and there's this cup that says, you something I think it says something like you can have you can have Jesus and a therapist too mm-hmm. have you seen that mm-hmm. and yeah. then the, um speaking going to what you were saying about the faith community you know it is very taboo matter of fact I mean I've literally I was born and raised in church all the time nothing but church you know and I don't ever recall really hearing or talking about mental health or or therapy or generational curses in that sense mm-hmm. or, or generational cycles of trauma. Mm-hmm. Right. Like none of that. I'd never heard. Right. I had to go off to school to learn about those things. And there was a movie I saw called the under shepherd a few years ago. And there's a scene in the movie where the pastor, there's a, there's a woman in the parishion who um, has a mental health, you know, um, you know, disorder or, or diagnosis. And she, she she was like praying or or praising and raised up her um her pill bottle and the pastor comes to her and like you know basically says something to the effect that that you said that you've heard being told to you and he was like you don't need these like Jesus is your healer and all of this and like you know takes the medication out of her hand and then months later she comes to the church and she looks deranged you know what I mean? So it, I, I can only imagine um, that, of course, there's a lot of taboo and stigma around the issue. But but sometimes people are shunned, you mm-hmm. know, or looked down upon or casted out mm-hmm. because they are doing something that is for the betterment of themselves and their physical and mental health. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just love your message and I and I hope that you spread it far near and far and wide as much as you can. Um I also see on your Instagram that you have been on a health journey, mm-hmm. which has included, you know, exercise, weight loss and fitness. Tell us about your journey. Yeah. So my fitness journey has been a, a long battle. So I think the biggest thing is I, I really struggled with. I really struggled with my body and mm-hmm. in the sense that actually I so my confidence level, I always had great confidence in the sense of like my skills, my talent and my ability. Mm-hmm. I always knew that I was pretty and thought that I was pretty. But I really struggled with like loving my mid- my midsection, mm-hmm. even as a child. And I remember being inside of a Kmart with my mother and telling her that I need that. And she was like, what do you mean? I would point. I was pointing. I was seven years old. Actually, I was pointing to the Jenny Craig products at seven years old. And my mom has always done everything possible to reassure me that there is nothing wrong with you. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I still there was still something. I don't know what it was about my stomach. I don't know what I saw on TV or what it was. Mm -hmm. And so my weight has been like a yo-yo. It's been up and down my entire life. Same thing with me. Same struggle. So it's like (laughs) it's been up and down. Like it's very hard. And so. Um, about a few years ago, actually, I had a friend 
who had the gastric sleeve and she had a lot of uh, su- great success with it. Mm-hmm. And so she well, actually before the surgery, she lost 200 pounds wow. on her own. And then after, I believe she lost 250 pounds. So she lost a total of 450 pounds. Wow. And so I just started talking to her and getting advice from her. And I was like, well, maybe this is something I should consider because my weight has been a struggle. And so I really didn't tell anyone because I was like afraid because I was like, people are going to be, I, I felt like, I felt like people would say like I was taking the easy way out or like I was too lazy and all of that. So I kept it to myself. And then eventually, like, I was like, you know what? I went to the doctor. They were like, you would be a great candidate for it. But there was work I still had to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So I had to lose. Some people way. think you just walk up in there and say, hey, you know, if you got the insurance. But no, you got to put in some work. Yeah. before You get approved. <laughs> so I had to go. I had to go on a, a liquid diet. Mm-hmm. And that was that was so hard. That was wow. like the hardest thing because I, obviously we're used to chewing yeah. things and you try just having di- uh, a diluted Gatorade and just water. Like it was so hard. Um, and then from there, I also discovered during the process of doing testing because I had like six, about seven months of testing. I discovered that I had what they call like um, a non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And basically there's um, too much fat around the liver. Mm-hmm. And I was at risk for certain illnesses that are associated with having too much fat around my liver. Mm-hmm. So that scared the, that was I'm like, sure. it scared me. And I was like, okay. That was initially when I was like, you know what? I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what they say. I'm doing this for my health. I'm not doing this because I want to have a model body. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not doing it for that reason. I'm really doing it for my health. And so I lost weight before the surgery. I lost, I believe, about maybe 13 or maybe 15 pounds before the surgery. Mm -hmm. And then after that, six weeks after the procedure, I got cleared to start working out. And so I joined a gym community that I feel like has really helped me because it's all, it's all women's gym. Oh, wow. And it's very small. And so like, since it's a very small community, everyone knows each other. They're holding me accountable. And I started seeing how like exercise is actually impacting or it helps boost my mood. And Mm -hmm. since I'm in the process of being weaned off my medication for my mental illness, Mm -hmm. My medication helps to increase my levels of serotonin, which is the chemical that makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. Well, when I work out, that also does yeah. that's the, it does it in its natural form without mm-hmm. the pills. It and so the endorphins. Exactly. And exactly. Feeling good. And so everything. I was like, OK, this is actually feeling good. And I remember at one point where I was looking in the mirror at myself. This was even before the like before the surgery. And I was like. I took off my clothes and my my therapist was saying to me, like, Aunt, you know, what do you look at yourself naked in the mirror? Because I used to take showers in the dark so that when I walked past the mirror, I didn't have to look at my body. Mm. And so I took off my clothes and I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, you know what? I'm so sorry for not taking care of you, but I thank you for getting me this far. And from this moment on, like, I'm going to honor my body mm. no matter what phase or stage I'm in and that was the moment I like gradually started to like accept my body and was like yeah you know I was you know it's like yeah I still have roles and I'm like yeah but I love Mm -hmm. them you know and so it, it really was a journey for me to like for me to get there and 
I would say it was the best decision that I made, but at the same time, it still was work that I had to go into. And I think sometimes it's easy to get caught up in the trap because there are some people who like I'm eight months out and I lost 53 pounds, wow. but like there are some people who like in eight months, they lost like, they're like, oh, I lost 90 pounds and 100 pounds. And I'm like, you know, but it goes into like not comparing my journey to anyone else's. Mm -hmm. And so it has been a blessing for me. And I feel like this is the most amount of weight that I have lost. So it, the surgery definitely did help. But the other part of it that I realized was also changing my mindset. Yes. Because mm -hmm. I don't think if I would have changed my way that I viewed myself I would have still been chasing something to make me feel like or basically trying to find whatever it was to make me feel like I look better, whether, whether it was using food to make me feel better or hanging out with a certain person to make whatever I needed to do to kind of fill those voids or, the, or that insecurity. Mm -hmm. And so now it's like I don't have anything or anyone to fill those things because I work to a place in my life where I'm really whole. That's amazing. Takia, like, oh my goodness, you are the epitome of self-awareness and growth and transformation, you know, and I, I just, your story is just so powerful and there's so much more that, that you have to do and to share with the world. You, you've, you've been so successful in so many different things and, I, and I've heard you mention faith. Um, what and, and or who do you attribute your your success to and 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 your positive outlook? Um, and and what advice do you have for millennials um, or people who may have suffered from either depression or anxiety or um, body body image? Yeah, so I would contribute my success to God, my support system, which would include my family and my friends. And I have a and your therapist too. I was maybe? just about to say shout out to Dr. T. She look, let me tell you, I have I think I have the best black therapist in the world. Of course, I'm biased, but <laughs> she she's just amazing. Like I, I'm I'm really grateful for my therapist. And I think um, what I would tell anyone who's struggling with depression or any mental illness would be that it's not a character flaw. Mm. It's not something that it's a chemical imbalance in your brain and something happened to you that caused this chemical imbalance. Sometimes it's genetic. You know, that's what I found out. Part of mine is genetic. Um, sometimes it's environment, you know, or circumstantial, no matter what it is, but that's the biggest thing. And know that when you put the work in and therapy, that what you get, what you put in it is what you get out of it. And so that would be like my biggest thing is not to be afraid to get the help that you need. Mm. Thank you for that, Takia. That was a golden. Those were golden nuggets. Uh, so where can people find you? Yeah. So you can my website. You can find me there. It's www.fireflyesunite.com. And then on all forms of social media, I am at Fireflies Pod. All right, you guys, you heard it. Fireflies Pod. And where can they find your book? Yes, my book is available on Amazon. Yay! <laughs> and tell them the name of your book again. Yes, Saved and Depressed, A Suicide Survivor's Journey of Mental Health, Healing, and Faith. Well, thank you, Takia, for being on the show and for, um, you know, being so open with us about your journey. And we look forward to your many more successes and continuing to watch and be, be inspired by your journey. Thank you for having me. <laughs> my pleasure. My pleasure. 
You are listening to WERA 96.7 FM, Arlington, Virginia. This is your girl Yazzie Speaks on Millennial Minds. Till next time, peace.